Hi, it's the ghost of Christmas future here to spread holiday cheer. It's Condé Nasty. Ho, ho, ho. Ho. It's Ursula the Sea Bitch. And this is Reading Drag Race, the show where we talk about whatever we want. But mostly RuPaul's Drag Race. Hey, Ursula, how you doing? I'm I'm good. Um, I spent yesterday very high and watching the Jinx and Bendel Christmas special, and it was a joy. So, um... It was every. It was everything I wanted from. Like, if I wrote down on paper my expectations for getting high and watching that Christmas special, I got all of them. It was great. Well, we cannot discuss that without bringing in our guests first, as we know those are two of her most beloved queens. Please welcome the winged angel of death, who will be topping my Christmas tree this year. Infamous sign topping, Valkyrie. Hello. Hey, Valkyrie. How are you doing? Uh- I'm very much feeling the Christmas spirit this year and watching anything and anything uh, remotely associated, um, including the Jinx and Dela special yesterday, uh, which was exactly what I wanted as well. Rang yeah, all the bells. Uh, wasn't it perfect? Just like it, 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 it's basically a riff on the show we saw last year. You know, the Bendel is very happy about Christmas. Jinx is not. Hilarity ensues. And the the songs were amazing that set design was so good like i'm not like obviously they're both theater queens i expect them to be able to put on a show in a barn like white christmas in 10 minutes on 10 minutes notice but i was like this does not look like a set that was put together in response to a crisis this just looks like what you meant to do for the years of planning it would have ordinarily taken yeah agreed i i also think i stared at their wigs more than I ever have before, because every single wig was spectacular and perfect. Oh my god, yeah. Jinx has this whole arc of, like, every wig is this, like, braided updo that makes her look like a villainess from Greek mythology that I'm absolutely here for. Um, no, and it's very crazy. Like, HD, that close... Like, this is like a generation of HD camera beyond even those seasons of Drag Race that really... Uh, tripped up some of our girls um, and I'm like I can make out individual pores and they all look flawless You've uh, the astringents you're using are perfect but it was still like wow that camera is right there and that is definitely 4k um, so, so yeah I was, I was checking wig lines too but gorgeous top to bottom I have not yet watched it but I am looking forward to it um, it does look phenomenal their, their Christmas special is great every year it was great last year I'm sure I'm glad it's actually being committed to film now. Um, yeah, my only regret was they only let you rent it on Vimeo. You can't, like, buy it, which I'm assuming is some attempt to prevent it just being, like, torrented. But I would like to own that, if only because the naked guy in that is beautiful. Uh, so I'll, I'll leave a little, 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 little uh, teaser for you. He's gorgeous. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> there, there, there's a lot of yummy snacks and very inclusive yummy snacks throughout the entire special. Agreed. Excellent. Um, I have not yet gotten into that sort of Christmas cheer, but I am planning on it. We put up our tree yesterday and wrote Christmas cards and played Christmas music and drank hot chocolate. Um, I do plan on getting, especially this year, getting very into the holiday season with the movies and things because I need to. Normally, I am somebody who watches like every version of A Christmas Carol. Um, the Muppets one is my favorite. I feel like this year I need 
less representation of Scrooge types in my life, so I will probably be deviating in terms of what I'm watching. What about yourself, Ursula? I'm not a huge Christmas person. Um, it's not like, I, I'm not anti-Christmas. I do not begrudge people who love Christmas. Love, love what you love, girl. It's a rough world out there. Whatever makes you happy, you grab onto it. Um, but uh, Christmas tends to be a very busy, stressful time work-wise for me. So just, I don't know, it's, it's just like running into a wall of everyone's expectations about how wonderful everything's supposed to be. So I'm like the, I'm the Debbie Downer in the um, rom-com archetype where it's like the person who's kind of grudgingly at the party. And I'll have a great time, but this is, Halloween is my season. This is not my season. Gotcha. I, I, I enjoy Halloween more, but I think particularly this year, like I, I enjoy Christmas, but I'm not. I know I'm less gung-ho than a lot of people. Um, this year, I feel like, lean in. That's fair. <laughs> um, That's fair. Yeah, I, I'm definitely leaning in uh, this year. And I've been super excited to watch a Halloween-Christmas hybrid Gremlins this year. I have not watched it yet. There's also nice. some fabulous drag looks out there inspired by the movie. Uh, Miss Toto's one of my favorites, if you haven't looked that up yet. Um, but my all-time favorite Christmas movie, which I think this is even like a cult cult movie, because you either know it and love it, or you, you're you going to have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, but it's Jim Henson's Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Um, yeah. I know what each of those words means individually, but not in series. Um. Yeah, I, it's, uh, <laughs> I watched it with my grandma every year growing up, and... Uh, the local uh, performance venue, The Hideout, the last couple of years, have done a live band version of the movie playing in the background, which I think just goes to show the point of how cult, cult this actually is. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's Jim Henson, and the puppetry is amazing, and it's literally this otter starting a jug band to win a talent contest so that he can win the prize money to buy his mom uh, something for Christmas. So, in the live band production, is the lead character portrayed by a skinny, hairy man? Uh, I went two years ago, and I don't think I'd call anyone skinny, but they were definitely on the hipster side of the spectrum. Okay, I'm just like, like, it feels like a Christmas story about an otter trying to get his mom a Christmas gift feels like something a gay bar would have a real easy time adapting. No, so I expected (laughs) it to be all people like my age, and I went with my sister, and it was majoritedly families with, like, small children running huh. around and, like, we're drinking a cocktail and my shins are getting kicked. It was a weird experience. That is very funny. I enjoy that immensely, especially the hideout because the vibe is, like, 30-something. 20, 30-something. Uh, that's fascinating. I believe my husband has watched that twice and I have been otherwise preoccupied, but maybe I'll give it a go sometime um all right well we are here to discuss a new queer holiday movie that came out this year uh the hulu original happiest season romantic comedy film directed by miss clea duvall um and the screenplay was written by clea duvall and mary holland of famed wild horses improv fame and beep and many other things um So we all watched this this week. The film uh, stars Kristen Stewart, Mackenzie Davis, Alison Brie, Aubrey Plaza, Dan Levy, Mary Highland, Victor Garber, and Mary Steenburgen. Um, And 
Valkyrie, what did you think of Happiest Season? So, I, I guess my first impression, and even when you invited me to be on here today, you were like, hey, do you want to review the Dan Levy Christmas movie? And maybe because I'm a gay man, but a lot of the promos had Dan Levy in it. Super excited. The amount he was in this movie, I was so disappointed. Like, okay. he was amazing in the scenes he was there. But And I feel this about a lot of characters. Like, I wanted more Audrey Plaza. Like, Alison Brie. Like, so many of these people are I love, and I'm just like... The lead character I didn't connect with or jive with, and I was really sad that there was this spectacular cast that um, could have been utilized more uh, to make a really outstanding movie. Yeah. So with that, I'm just going to pause real quick. There will be spoilers in this, so know that as you listen. Um, And I would like to clarify that the plot is Kristen Stewart is a... uh, woman who I believe is in her 20s or 30s whose parents passed away in what we are left to presume is a tragic accident at 19 around the holidays. She has a girlfriend she's planning on proposing to who invited her home for the holidays and then confesses on the way. I actually never came out to my super uptight conservative family. Please just go along and pretend to be my friend. I'll come out afterwards, which pretty much sounds like a gay horror movie. Like, that setup feels a touch get-out adjacent. Um, And the movie definitely plays with that. Um, I'm going to say, in response to what Valkyrie has said, I, I have to say, I love this cast. I thought the cast was really well... I mean, I thought the roles were really well cast. A lot of them I did want more of. Um, the girlfriend played by Mackenzie Davis, I was, she was the one the whole time where I was like, I feel like I'm supposed to get why you would like this girl so much or connect with her. And I didn't. And as the plot moved forward, I felt a little bit like, maybe I'm not supposed to, maybe she's supposed to be a little unlikable. Um, what, what did you think, Ursula? Yeah, my, I honestly thought, given the insane chemistry that Kristen Stewart and Aubrey Plaza had on screen every time they were together, that the gag of the movie was going to be, they're going to end up together. Which Same. I was for. Like, here's what... I her- absolutely thought that that was... I thought it was going to be a romantic movie about that. Yeah, at a here, here's, what Hersel- yes. here's what Ursula learned I want that movie. Uh, last week. That Ursula's a Kinsey Six, comma, would still totally watch the Kristen Stewart, Aubrey Plaza sex tape. I, I I was so compelled and into their energy that it forced me to take a quiet evening to reflect on what I like. Um, just, uh, and again, I, my takeaway from this movie was like, I liked the parts more than the whole. Um, every individual part is great. Like, uh, you know, Alison Brie has... Uh, I hope that woman never has to pay a mortgage payment again because she has perfected the art of being an uptight white woman. Like, she's just... With such, like, character actress comedy beats. Yes. And and she's done that so well for years in different parts. Yep. And I feel like in this one, this movie, she did a particularly austere version of it. She even looked, like, a little thinner and more, like, anal retentive. Like, it was the most uptight version oh yeah it was perfect um, um yeah. evil mary steenburgen was doing it for me like the way she was constantly taking pictures with the ipad in the leather case i'm like that's like so specific but a perfect riff on this character i'd watch victor garber read the phone book um 
I think same. I think my problem is it's an it felt like a '90s plot, which I think on some level makes sense because Clea Duvall is like the '90s is like one of the '90s lesbian queens. Like I, I just think it felt like it felt closer to "But I'm a Cheerleader" than a movie I would expect to watch today. I actually liked that about that about it. It um it has a touch of Meet the Fockers. It has a touch of Get Out. It has a touch. Of the family stone. Yeah. Something I liked about it is I feel like a lot of movies like this where it's like, and you come home and we have this beautiful Georgian house with like craftsman aesthetics and everything crate and barrel are more expensive looking. And and we sort of are going to talk about ourselves and our lives as though we're very middle class, but it's like such upscale middle class Americana that you must be at least rich. And in this movie, they were like, explicitly acknowledging that and calling it out for comedy, which I appreciated. Yeah, I, I suppose uh, I suppose the conflict also felt a little... Maybe this is the disconnect where it feels like the conservative suburban politician wouldn't need to hide their queer kid. They would use their queer kid as cover for all the other shitty things. That, like, I can't be a bigot. I have a gay child. Let me sign all these bills that will defund things that help queer people. Um, I agree with that. That felt like... This, that one plot to me was like, that is too dated for yeah. 2020. Um, I, I loved, I loved it, Dan Levy. I loved, I, I, I want another movie in which Kristen Stewart and Aubrey Plaza are girlfriends. And then the, but the main plot is like Aubrey Plaza and Dan Levy rob banks. That's the movie I want. Yeah, I, I think that's the movie we all want. That unfortunately, that was not this movie. Um, and I, I literally wrote down it's a basic rom com Christmas movie with the big surprise is that it's gay people, and they and and there were touches and hints of things, but they really could have gone farther in a lot of those areas to make it so much better than 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 what it was. And yeah, I mean, it's a miss, tons of missed opportunities, which. I mean, it's the first or one of the first. I know there's like a dozen that came out this year, gay Christmas movies, but it seems like it's the gay Christmas movie for 2000, not 2020. Um, I I'm going to say that I think that some of the mechanics of the in of the like core plot felt a little poorly constructed and I do think that fitting in that this plot would happen and that Kristen Stewart as um, Ben Stiller in Meet the Fockers, which is an interesting conceit. Like, I think that it relies on the Mackenzie Davis character being compelling. Harper is the character character's named Harper. And she wasn't. Um, and I think that there's a lot of shady plots that rely on the charmingness of an actor or actress to get you to buy the other characters going along with them. Yeah. And I think that that was the problem. That said, as much as I'm like, the core architecture of this feels a little flawed because I don't think he would necessarily have to hide a queer child and some of the logistics of like how they ended up in this situation were forced I do think that then being in this situation, so many of the character types and the the acting and the performances were great. That said, I completely agree with Valkyrie. Like, I wanted more of the comedy of Alison Brie being uptight than her just being the most uptight version of herself. 
Um, I loved the Mary Holland middle sister who's a little like tightly wound OCD ignored writing this fantasy novel and them kind of her being very much the black sheep of the family that they all like mechanically ignore but is actually the only good and likable person of the family like and ultimately had the success like as much as she was annoying like I liked that she was actually the only likable one in a weird way she was on screen for two seconds and I turned over to my husband and I was like she's my favorite character already and is going to be my favorite character she she grew on me she was a little much right at the start because I wasn't quite sure what we were going for and then once oh now I get it um yeah I I like that they had her do such like improv character actress stuff so big in this setting I thought it was because there are people who are really that weird that you meet. Oh yeah, are I, like, I applaud anyone who can kiss a Josh Hartnett poster with with such sincerity. That is that is acting. That's like Tony yeah. Collette and hereditary levels of acting. Um, it was, and she did a lot of really funny actions, like when Allison Bree's family first comes there and they do the family picture, and she starts nuzzling her sister's shoulder at the end of it, like. I lost it, where she just found those yeah. moments to bring something that was not, that I assume was not written in, in the script, that I assume it was her embodying this character, that were just perfect. Yeah, I, I agree. And I liked that the movie ended in a way that was, to me, I feel like the movie knew the whole time. She's a little odd, but she also has a heart of gold and is like a good and smart person who's like building this world and this fantasy. And I like that in the end, who had like the happiest ending, who was like at a book reading and book signing and had met up with Dan Levy, who we learn at the top of the movie is a book editor and who she hits it off with at the family party in the like third act. She's the one who ends up like what we're left to presume probably a best-selling author. Yeah. And I love that she got that great happy ending. Um, yeah. I I do want to say regarding um, Aubrey Plaza, I feel like she has a sort of Daria adjacent deadpan comedic delivery that is good but sucks the energy and the comedy out of the room that a lot of people kind of criticize. And that's how you see her so much of the time. I feel like the way she carried herself, her vocal intonation, her facial expressions, like, it's not like she was way different, but she was different. She wasn't Daria. And she really played a compelling, flirtatious lesbian from years past and potential romantic, other romantic interests for Kristen Stewart in such a compelling way. They had such steamy screen chemistry. And I was so impressed with her acting. I think that's such a hard... um, I don't, that's such a hard type of character to play in a way that is so compelling, and she did it so effortlessly. Yeah, when she was um, talking to uh, Kristen Stewart outside the house, and she was exp- uh, review, and she re- wasn't then. It was she reveals how Harper like outed her and then disowned her. There was she found the per- she, there's like a way you talk about that kind of childhood trauma where if like you can't make it too intense or too flat because it either looks schmaltzy or we like like she gave it just the right inflection that made it clear this is clearly still and will always be a deeply painful thing that even if you've processed it properly in therapy is still just going to be a soft spot and but without like making it schmaltzy or saccharine or 
cheap. Like I just the she just she flicked that vocal intonation just the right way to imply a deep well of hurt without letting it consume the scene. And I'm like, that's that's very good acting. <laughs> yeah, no, I I completely agree. I will say because I like the cast so much and I like them playing some of these characters. I actually really enjoyed this movie and would recommend watching it. I do think that it's pulling from some familiar tropes, but I also think it's kind of making fun of the, a lot of those things. I did at a certain point feel like the Harper character was so unlikable going back into her own life, old life and like continually stuffing Kristen Stewart's character into the closet deeper and yeah. into more compromising situations i was like she wasn't likable at the top she's really unlikable now i really hope they don't end up together yeah um yeah i did not want them to and i was surprised honestly that they did i thought so much of this was well done i thought the dan levy character was pretty it felt written for dan levy but it felt written by dan levy like it was just like did he do all his own scenes like yeah perfect i agree but i did feel like in the end when he was like take her back to Kristen stewart i was like he wouldn't have said that no no that felt that felt real like they were forcing this ending when i think a polite we're in different places that all queer people have heard before uh (laughs) would have been the move um it just that's that's my grinder bio um 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 i i I feel like, too, like, Harper didn't just, like, ask Kristen Stewart's character to go back into the closet. Like, she actively made decisions that were bad and hurt her girlfriend. Yes. And, like, invited her to Christmas. And then ignored her. On the way to Christmas, then tells her, oh, by the way, my parents don't know I'm a lesbian. Like, you're gonna have to go in the closet. Like, she has no other option but to go and play along with this at this point actively flirts with her ex-boyfriend in front of her like and like so many moments and time and time again you are actively hurting your girlfriend I, why did they end I up think, together i think the there end? is a scene that may, maybe it just didn't make the edit but you know we all do that thing when we especially if we live somewhere far away from where we grew up when you go back home when you're surrounded by your family it is very easy despite your best efforts to slip into behavioral patterns that are very familiar and very unhealthy and maybe a scene where she clocked that, like, like I could imagine a psychologically credible story where because she is so worried about her parents rejecting her for being gay, that when surrounded by her high school friends and her siblings, she reflexively and unconsciously starts leaning into her high school persona where she would be safest. Like, that makes sense. It's a lot to lay on your Christmas rom-com, but you would need some scene where she catches... I'm now doing this in order to make that credible uh, for why they're still together. I think, um, and I I do want to sort of take a moment to say, I think Kristen Stewart is put in an odd position where she's sort of playing Ben Stiller meet the Fockers meets um, James Dean, lesbian 2020 edition. And I think that's (laughs) sort of a hard role to play and I think she did a good job. I do feel like Kristen Stewart is so fine featured and beautiful and the her makeup has never been better in anything. Um Yeah. And she's so like waif fairy porcelain doll perfect with her like 
bleach bob moment um that she's just visually stunning and no there's no ver- there's nowhere in this world where Kristen Stewart goes and like everyone's ignoring her that like <laughs> that doesn't happen like a woman who looks like that is not left to feel like a wallflower in a crowd ever um and she did a really good job of playing that um I, some of the, like, like the black nail polish, I was like, she wouldn't be wearing black nail polish to this house if she's trying to impress somebody, but okay. Um, but she did a really good job and it was, it was hard to balance that. I think they were so concerned with making, uh, it understandable that Kristen Stewart would get to the point where she ended it then that they, like, overdid it. Like, they made Harper so unlikable that in the end I'm like, you should not be with this person. Yeah. Um, um, there wasn't enough uh, redemption uh, in the Harper character to make that ending make sense. And even the the ending that the credits played out for them was didn't make sense to everything we saw in that movie. Yeah, no, I agree. What did you guys think of the scene where the two of the sisters got into a huge fight over revealing a secret that then became an absolute scene in front of all the guests that then the middle sister played expertly by mary holland got like threw herself in to just to be included what were your thoughts on that scene it was a great one act play taking place in the movie um every i'll say like their relationship harper's relationship with her sister had more like meat on the bone than i think her relationship with with Kristen stewart um like just the the acting choices, they're physically very similar. Like everything about that read as we are two adults with a lot of history, not all of it healthy, and it is going to bubble up in times of stress the way family functions often do. But all of that worked. And I gotta say, like like yeah, when when she points out, you know, when the when the middle sister points out, I worked really hard on that and you destroyed it casually, it's like that is shitty like yeah is the painting a little saccharine and i'm not gonna hang it up in my house of course not but i respect the work and care and thought behind it and you know like yeah it's like all of that worked for me because it it was funny it was petty it was emotionally authentic and yeah yeah i mean it had good moments and it had things that i didn't like about it um i mean allison brie tells Kristen Stewart at one point stay out of this Sappho uh which I thought was hilarious yeah. <laughs> in that setting um which could only make sense in in the middle of that fight but I feel like they revealed uh Sloane's secret just for the sake of this fight and you knew something big was going to happen at this big Christmas party and like it all seemed a little predictable yeah. um and a little too comedic to make it seem serious uh and so I I they rested the movie on the weight of the scene, and I just don't think it carried that weight well uh, because they tried to insert too many laughs into okay. it. Okay. I feel like there was a bit of a mutually assured destruction element to that scene, and I, like, I have had, I have five siblings with mixed relations with all of them, um, but I cannot imagine. I don't know. It was there was such an unhinged competitiveness between the two of them that was so barbaric. And I feel like they established that beforehand, but that was a moment where it was like we both have a secret. Are we going to rush to reveal the other secret but hope that that person doesn't like 
you wouldn't do that. And it was so, it was such a savage fight. And for family that's so concerned with appearances, it was like, you're physically fighting in front of this whole crowd of guests. It felt, I'm not going to say it didn't feel earned because there was like an uptightness to this family that was bubbling under the whole time. And I do like the way that they had the parents have a little bit of a wake up moment, even if it felt forced. But that fight to me, I was like, they both have a secret. Like, so this is like how they keep those secrets. They're like, I'm not telling your secret, you don't tell mine. It was a little, I don't know, it like went too far for me. It was like too explosive and it didn't make sense. Well, much but. like my kind of thoughts on the film writ large, I liked the scene very much, but I do appreciate your point about how it kind of fits into the broader story and the arc of these characters. But it's one of the, like, I enjoyed the scene for itself so much that I kind of let that paper over the problem of how it fits into the jigsaw of the story. My problem was, I think the parents turnaround was like shocking. Real quick. Oh yeah. And like, like emotionally self-aware in a way that parents who create that environment are, are not. not. Are not. That... Yeah. As you talked about it, I think, I would split that fight into two because I really enjoyed when the fight started and it was just kind of the totally, sisters totally. and their partners and like they were going at it in the hallway. And then once it got into the big group, that's where it lost me. Because A, I don't really have a sense of who's at this party besides the family and, and fancy Anna Gaspar, friends. Yeah. Fancy friends. Yeah, yeah. Wh- whoever Anna Gaspar are even supposed to be. I don't even know who she is. Yeah, are there really besides. like big dark money donors for suburban mayoral contests like (laughs) in wealthy suburbs of places like philadelphia yes okay (laughs) i've worked with many people along those lines (laughs) i just feel like i didn't know who else was at that party i know it was politically important but like then this family fight just seemed weird Mm. and awkward and and i guess the consequences of it were only for that family and we didn't see any of the other fallout really from everyone else are they neighbors are they aunts like i I don't know it the in with everyone else lacked for me from how yeah this i think the solution there is clearly this family is like like in the center of the wheel of this whatever social circle so you know all those other people even if they like them also kind of hate them and getting some flavor of like the neighbor should be thrilled that the perfect family and the perfect house is having this epic breakdown in front of us. And that's, I think a great source for humor. Um, that like, but, but again, we're, we're getting to the point of like, we're making a three hour movie to like, make sure everything gets fully fleshed out. But I take, it's one of the, yeah, I agree. I liked the scene kind of forts. Like if you just showed me this on their like audition reels, be like, well, well, these, these women are hilarious. Let's give them more. Um, but I agree. It's like L- it doesn't literally fit. though. You can take that fight and have Mary Steen Virgin like in the foyer, like next to where the guests are, and have toned down the like manic energy of the daughters two notches, and basically have the same thing, but have it be believable by having it be like stormed into the center of the living room with that like at a ten from jump energy. It's like this is like. Are we sending her to it? Like, does she need Valium? Um, it was too far, and I feel like there's like such a minor edit that makes it believable. Yeah, yeah, I, and I just escalating it. with your backs to the crowd, not really paying attention. Like it was just it's like bursting into the gym auditorium and like saying the most embarrassing thing about yourself in high school. Like it's one thing for it to be overheard. It's another like it just I get was... I, I take your point. It's yeah, like I said, I'm 
it, it re this conversation reinforces my kind of general take of I liked every individual component a great deal collectively. It's a perfectly fine, adequate movie. I like it. I think it is good. I think it is so well cast and so much of the secondary character work and lines are so well done and well delivered comedically, particularly Alison Brie and Dan Levy and Aubrey Plaza, that I, I would give this movie a nine, even though I think some of the base mechanics of the presumptions of how we get here are bullshit. And the fight was like, okay, this is like now unbelievable. Yeah. Um, I, I still, I, I'm not like, this is mediocre. I, I recommend watching this movie. I oh yeah, like, like, I mean, on some level, it's what you watch it for. Like, I don't watch this to have like an earth-shattering experience and an insightful commentary on the human condition. I watch this to be generally amused for an hour and a half while drinking. Um, I will say, uh, there are many things I do like about the movie, even as like a piece of queer culture. I like that Dan Levy is the supportive gay friend for a gay character. That felt that felt surprisingly nice because this is the thing straight people get wrong all the time where it's like there's one gay friend in this circle. I haven't seen a straight person since pandemic. Like it's like in every in, in all of these movies, there's like one gay person with a bunch of straight friends. I'm like, that's never been true. And so I just enjoyed seeing like a, I enjoyed seeing Dan Levy supporting a queer character with his sass. That was that 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 made me feel good. Dan Levy and Kristen Stewart was me and Aaron Thomas. Like that is our friendship. I can see it. You and the respective placement of our cheekbones. Like that's oh, yeah. just uh, the the like like I have that friendship. Um. So it was it was nice to see that. Um. It is very. Yeah. No. I like that it was Dan Levy was a more fleshed out supportive gay friend to a lesbian character in a friendship that feels very believable. Yeah. Like I said, my my Dan Levy, Aubrey Plaza, I, I won't say Rob Banks, because I don't think they would resort to violence. I think they would be very sassy embezzlers. So, like, if they had, like, a scheme where they were going to defraud an evil corporation and do it with a great deal of humor inside of... Oh, I, wa I want white-collar crime <laughs> criminal lesbians, Aubrey Plaza, Kristen Stewart. Yeah, oh, God, yeah. Oh, just, let's make this movie happen. Um. I I will say one of my favorite lines of the movie was Dan Levy saying to Kristen Stewart's character after Kristen tells Dan uh, she's at the house, calls him and says, um, "I basically was forced back into the closet." He says, "There's nothing more erotic than concealing our authentic selves." <laughs> just being like, "What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, why?" Why are you putting up? Yeah. The, That's the uh, thing. I think bullshit. there are so many compelling lines like that mm -hmm. in this that I do feel like, even though the base mechanics of this are flawed and unbelievable at parts, I do feel like overall, this was a good movie that I will be watching again, probably this year and probably next year. I might not watch it again until next year, but I take your point. I'm glad I watched it. It was entertaining this year. I don't think I'd ever watch this again. Okay. This is, I am so glad we, like, I think it's really boring when three people have, like, perfectly unanimous opinions, but, so we have a, we'll watch again this season, we'll watch again next season, and we'll not watch again. I think we did a, just a, just, uh, from a debate structure. Great job, everyone. I just feel like there's so many other options out there, and now there's so many other gay holiday movies that came out this year, too, that 
I don't think this would be on the top of my list to rewatch. I think I love Dan Levy and Aubrey Plaza and Mary Holland and Alison Brie to an extent that is like probably greater than average. Where for me, I will be watching for that. I got. I just uh, yeah. Like I think this is these are some of these are some a lot of very well regarded actors who I feel like I am particularly like I love them and everything. So for me, that's enough. Um, I mean, and I I love Mary Steenburgen, and her second act is like emotionally uh, competent MILF, where she's just like nice and or horny in every comedy she's in, has been a delight to watch. So getting to see her lean into like real uptight prissy lady was super fun. I wish there were more of it. Like, there's a ton more jokes you could have had with the with the woman walking around who just discovered Instagram. Would have been great. Um, but uh, so my my question kind of relating to what Valkyrie said about like there being so many more queer rom-coms does the rom-com work with queer stories I I'm gonna say I think it's harder to do a gay rom-com because the rom-com formula is based on the heterosexual princess thank you that's the that's what I was struggling to come up with the rom-com presumes getting getting the guy at the end is always the ultimate goal which I think it's not impossible to tell, but it's harder to tell. As I and many gay people go through that same fairy tale story and and can be their truth. Um, I mean, I, I got married when I thought I never would get married, but I feel like um, I don't know if there's necessarily that same narrative that works across all gay relationships, and that I don't know in the rom com industry how flexible and open for testing that formula is gonna yeah, work by the time you make a narrative tailored enough to the the subtype of queer being portrayed on the screen you've kind of left rom-com and now we're just doing com yeah I, there's a lot of great gay movies that deal with romance that i wouldn't classify as a rom-com and i feel like it, it's that rom-com designation that i i feel like is harder to fit and and make work within the queer space not not impossible, but I, I can't think of one queer rom-com that I'm like, yes, that I want to watch that again and again. That was fun. Um, I might just need more coffee today. But <laughs> that, uh, yeah, that's my story. Yeah, I've watched a couple of silly rom-coms that I liked, but they tended to be very consciously patterning themselves on straight rom-com, like to the point that it's like part of the text <laughs> that they're doing it. Um, but I don't, I don't rewatch them or like, I don't watch them all. Like they're not cracking my top 10 of like, Ooh, this is like one of the, I, I'm not going to rewatch it as often as I've watched True Beverly Hills, you know? Yeah. I feel like when Harry met Sally is like the only rom-com I go back to. Yeah. Um, it's sort of the top of the form for many reasons. Um, so Valkyrie, you mentioned that a number of gay holiday movies came out this year. I'm curious I know of this one. I know there's one with Jonathan Bennett that he is promoting on his Instagram a ton on like the Hallmark channel or something um, where it just sort of seems like and and this really generic like white family holiday movie on the Hallmark channel. One of the sons is gay and married to a man and the man basically plays the wife and that's it is sort of the vibe I get. Are there others that you are aware of that I am unaware of? Um, So I pulled up a Pride.com article titled Seven New LGBTQ Plus Holiday Movies and Shows We're Excited For This Year. 
they include Friendsgiving, um, which is a Thanksgiving one. Um, Dash and Lily is a show on Netflix. I know there was a couple of home. The Christmas House is the Jonathan Bennett yes. one. Um, there's uh, a lesbian one on Netflix. Um, the Christmas Setup, which has Fran Drescher. Okay. Well, you've uh, tell I, me more. I well, yeah, I am intrigued. <laughs> uh, Dashing in December is a Christmas cowboy movie from Paramount. I'm honestly worried about Hallmark taking a stab at gay rom-coms because I don't want an urban homosexual to go back to a small town to be taught the lesson that he works too hard and just needs to get married. <laughs> what I want to have happen is Hallmark take a cue from the sci-fi channel and have Jonathan Bennett face off uh, Condit, what's her name? The Candace Cameron Burr. <laughs> okay. In a, like, monster movie face-off, a la, like, Sharktopus versus Piranaconda. <laughs> in a giant, like, gay versus straight Christmas spectacular. Oh, that's the war on Christmas right there. I love it. Um, uh, again, I hope people I hope people in position, in, like, the position to create these things are listening to this because we are giving you hundreds of amazing ideas. <laughs> And with that, I think we're ready to wrap up this episode. Um, and on a high, again, the image of... Can you restate that, Valkyrie, just one more time? Jonathan Bennett versus Candace Cameron Burr in a Sharktopus versus Piranaconda Christmas throwdown. You heard it here first, Hallmark. Valkyrie, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a delight. And with that... Uh, let's take a commercial break. Isolated at home? Desperate for human contact, but afraid of risking the other side of your front door? Wondering if you still remember the scent of a man? Distant Daddy Deliveries is here to help. Once a week, we'll send a handsome silver fox to your home who will maintain six feet of physical distance and a world of emotional distance. Just like your real father. Do you find you miss the feeling of never being good enough? Do you ache for disapproving silence? Have you finally given in to the fact that you'll only ever love men who will never love you back? Distant Daddy Deliveries is here for you. And Reading Drag Race has a special offer code just for you. Go to the website and enter the code FREUDIAN for all your disapproving father figure needs. And for those of you looking for the opposite experience, we'll be setting up our other service where we send you an oversharing mother with no boundaries, whose well-intentioned support still sometimes feels oppressive like a weighted blanket, next week. All right, and we are back to do something I never thought we'd do before. Discuss a video game. PlayStation's Ghost of Tsushima. Ursula, you want to take us away? Oh, absolutely. Um, okay, so so Ghost of Tsushima is an open-world role-playing combat game for the PS4 uh, that was on my list for a while, um, but Condé Nasty got into this game and after like a thousand text messages at two in the morning, I decided to pick it up during a Thanksgiving Black Friday sale rather than waiting for the day after Christmas sale. And I am glad I did because of I've played a couple of AAA games here in pandemic. They've been like little treats to myself and my mental stability. And this is far and away my favorite. Um, let me back up. Let me start with like, I'm a fairly experienced gamer. I'm not like a diehard gamer. I don't 
play online with strangers where we interact with each other, that's just stressful to me. Um, but I've played many games of this archetype. So most of the, I've played like most of the Assassin's Creed's um, and loved them all. I have a enduring crush on uh, Renaissance Italian Ezio Auditore. Very handsome man. Um, but this game just stunned me. Um, and it was apparently stunning enough that Condi Nasty, whose only interaction with video games is watching his husband play video games, fell out over this game. So, so what? Is, so this is like the first major video game you've played like since the 8-bit NES, right? Yes, and I am so excited to play Luke to your Yoda right now. Um, I, yes, that is correct. I like barely played video games since the original Nintendo, though I did get into Animal Crossing, which is a little more like a complicated form of digital farming. Um, in early yeah, that, pandemic, that, that's almost an yes. app. Yeah. Um, but yes, this is. I've never played anything like this. I am married to an avid gamer, but I myself have the energy of like, I have the digital dexterity of a mom. So it was quite surprising for me to get into this. And I will say, the week before my husband started watching this, I was doing a lot of reading about the Mongol invasion of Japan because I'm cool like that. Um, and so I had been looking at some graphics regarding the state of the Mongol Empire at the time and the fact that the Mongols had just married into the Korean nobility, the Mongols had just finally squashed the Southern Song Dynasty in South China that was competing with them, Kublai Khan had established the, the Yuan Dynasty, this was the second invasion in 1281, I'm so cool, um, and I saw some visuals about the different classes and castes of like noble warriors in Korea versus like infantrymen and i was really impressed to look at this game and see wow they even bitch these gays even got the costumes right um well for, first of all i love that you described it as when your husband started watching it not playing yeah it, i'm really because <laughs> this is a very cinematic game and i think that's what appeals to the gays uh there's so let's just get this out of the way Spoilers. We're discussing spoilers. We're not protecting you from spoilers. If you plan on playing the game and haven't played it yet, just hit pause, go play it, and in 40 hours, come back and keep listening. It will be here. Um, there is a there is something the game calls Kurosawa mode, in which the game is then portrayed in black and white with Japanese audio. So you're literally watching a samurai movie. And I gotta say, I did that for about 10 minutes, and then trying to read the English subtitles while listening to the Japanese was just too much for playing a video game. But I appreciate the, the art yeah, no, of, th of trying. That is... So I was also in a state where it was like, oh, I'm taking a week off and I injured my foot and I just read about this and he's been playing it. And it's so cinematic and gorgeous that I couldn't help but like... I never really felt like sticking around beyond a half hour of hanging out with him while he was playing video games. But I was so compelled and drawn into the artistry the landscape scenery and the stories the subplot stories the side quests are i mean most things Better. on netflix the, the, the... today are not remotely as well acted as this video game full of 
really compelling novellas about the human condition in war and in peace. Yeah, I gotta say, all of the side stories, like, the the, the most biting criticism I've read of Ghost of Tsushima has, was basically that it's Assassin's Creed Japan. And I think that's fairly reductive, because I think the art is better, and the characterizations are better, and it's on the backs of the voice acting. All of the arcs are pretty, almost, I think, consciously formulaic um, samurai movie stories, you know, uh, avenging your murdered family, looking for your lost relative. Th- th- they're, they're cliches, I mean, even outside of samurai Yeah, movies, no, they're like cliches action in many movie. cultures. But on the strength of the performances, girl, you feel it. Yes. Um, I, I am, compa- like, I still think about what happened to Lady Moscow's family, and I'm never going to stop thinking about it. Um, I have to say, the moment Queer icon, just... by the way. I oh, loved amazing. them both. Lady Mousico, by the yeah. way. Not to, to put out on too many spoilers, but like, there, there are complicated emotional and sexual arrangements in the life of a noble woman in 13th century Japan. And her characterization really fleshes that out, which I appreciate. Do, do, do you know what's crazy to me? I, I actually managed to resist doing a deep dive on Wikipedia till I was done so I wouldn't spoil myself. And you know, you know what I learned about Lady Masako when I did that Wikipedia deep dive? The woman who is her voice actor is Amy on Futurama. That's amazing. She, that is a talented yeah. woman. Those voices are like an octave and a half apart. Um, but I gotta say, the moment for me that sold me on the game is like, oh, well, I'm going to enjoy this, was about five minutes into the game after the prologue and the big fight on the beach. And Jin is on his horse and just rounds like a hill and it's like, you know, sunset and this huge maple tree is gently wafting leaves to the ground. And like the colors are so saturated, they're like bleeding off your television. And I was like, oh, oh, this was for us. Like, I have never seen scenic design done with such like perfect exaggeration where it's like just more intense enough than reality to be compelling without being a cartoon. The whole thing looks and feels like moving art all the time, whether you're yeah. playing it in Kurosawa mode or not. Um, it pulls from a really deep bench of Japanese folklore and cinema to draw these storylines that intersect intelligently while still being essentially an open world game where there isn't really a chronology. Um, and they make a lot of choices to minimize what's visually on the screen so that you can just enjoy the stunning visual landscape they've provided for you. For me, I had an insanely stressful week and then I had a week that was like vacation and that day I really fucked up my foot and basically had to sit on my ass and ice it for 48 hours straight. And that is what got me to start playing my own version, which I completed in a week which is insane because, again, I had the dexterity of a mom at the top of this, and now I'm like, easy mode is too easy for these combat scenes. Um, I, like, learned how to play all of the more complicated moves the character requires as time passes. To my surprise, I once completed one of the bamboo strike submissions with each strike on my first try, which my husband was floored by. He's like, what has happened with your fingers in this week? Um... I mean, I did that a couple of times, but not not to brag. I expected to do that. I can play the piano. Yes. Like, I expected to be able to translate those skills. I am deeply impressed, girl. Thank well done. You. Um, 
the it's just I, I I totally this became a tangent of twelve points. Where did I start this? Oh, I think we were just getting into the art. Um, I, I I would like to also note that we're talking a lot about the storylines, and I have to say one of the most compelling things for me is that the female led storylines and even the secondary so, female characters are f- so, so good. good and fleshed out with such emotional nuance. I feel like. Um, Lady Masako, Jin's childhood nursemaid, whose name escapes me. Yuriko. That's another one that's going to stick Heart with me. Heart-breaking. I stand by my point that one. what I enjoyed is if you're running past Mongols and they see you and they want to chase you, you can do a standoff scene that may lead to some rewards. Or you can keep riding on your horse through stunning endless japanese scenic landscape and just relax and meditate while you're thinking about decompressing from your stressful week or whatever um and then you stumble into these side quests where the whole story is more cinematic than most films that comes come out right now and the voice acting is so yeah, affecting when, 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 i did not expect there to be these little vignettes in between that said so much about the human condition, I literally teared up. Oh, God, yeah. When Lady Moscow finds her two sons on Kamada Beach. Ugh, God. I I lost it. The, the one that got me, the moment that actually just gutted me. And again, spoilers for days. Um, it's in the Yuriko bit when it's clear that she's, you know, lo- losing it. And they're sitting together at the top of the mountain. And she thinks that the main character, Jin, is, actually, is his father. And going along with the delusion for her sake, he says uh, that his son is very lucky to have someone like her taking care of him. I'm getting choked up talking about it. Like, and it was like, like, even just in terms of like structure, that story comes early on in act two. So you've spent, you know, a good 10 hours slogging your way through a melee fight through one of the islands. And then the next act, the next major story is just this gentle, peaceful kind of thoughtful goodbye to the safety of your childhood and it's actually like perfectly structured like it is actually what i wanted after storming a castle completely it adds to it's a still moment as you often find in a movie there's a there's a moment at a halfway point where there's a still moment that sort of reconnects the person to who they are or to where they come from and i think that having act 1 be so world building to be an experience that teaches especially me as a new as a first time gamer a tremendous amount about how to use this controller and and do these moves but narratively there's this one big first act fight um and then on the other side of it to get a glimpse of stillness that tells you who Jin is and who Jin was and where he comes from and recenters him in himself moving forward but is also like a loss um, was so deeply affecting. Yeah. I, Ugh. and I've got to say uh, like it, it just in that way, it was, I did not expect to be emotionally moved the way I would watching a very good film or reading a wonderful novel in the way that yeah, I was. The, the only other time I got that, I, that I was that in my feelings was when the horse died. Oh yeah. my God. And I, and I knew it was coming. They t- they telegraphed it and they did it on purpose because most games, and I've played enough, I've played, you know, eight, 85 Assassin's Creed games. There's a point at the start of the game where you pick your horse. 
they give you a chance to confirm do you want the you know the white horse the brown horse or the gray horse and that's it because they're not going to animate another horse for you they went way too far in making me confirm this is going to be your horse for the whole game it's the whole game you're going to have this horse i'm like why do you keep saying the whole time and it's because they're flagging for you that that horse is not going to make it and one of the jump po- one of the fast travel points is just going to be that horse is grave um that was i knew it was coming and it still hurt and that's good writing i agree i agree um and one of the things i believe i mentioned before we recorded this was i part of the reason my husband was able to get me to watch this was or to play this honestly to watch him play it and then to play it myself was i was reading about the mongol invasion of japan right before he got this game and i was impressed to see Bitch, they got so many details right. The The costumes are very diverse amongst the nebulous Mongolian enemies who are actually from different parts of the Mongolian Empire at the time and thus look differently in what they are wearing, which is another thing that isn't really critical, but the attention to detail was so astounding. It, it's one of those... I appreciated that because I think especially in Western education... There's a tendency to think of it's like like all French people live in France, only French people live in France. And the idea that uh, a, the nation state as a geopolitical body is also coterminous with the ethnic people by the same name and with the same history is not the oldest invention in politics. It's literally the most recent. It's like 150 years old. The idea that all people should live in one nation made up of only their their fellow people sharing that ethnicity so i enjoy any piece of demonstration of history that shows the image you have in your head of what is china mongolia korea and japan is what the map looks like now the way that map came to be is no less varied and mushy and overlapping than than its european counterpart so i i i appreciate like some like this is real deep cut shit and i won't spend too much time on it but like one of the little side hunting quests is for quote-unquote mongolian artifacts some of which are like greek vases and egyptian tchotchkes because the mong the mongol empire did at one point go that far west and i i appreciate just that notion of right these places interacted with each other yeah i'm like thank you for remembering that well done guys um okay i want to move i want to move on to the other best part of this game the fashion yeah Oh, bitch. Just for even for, oh, the, for the main, even for the main character. Like most of the time when you can buy like another outfit, it's basically like, it's the same thing. We just made its primary color red than blue. No, no, no. This main character is serving Luke's. His hundred. closet's deeper than mine now. Seriously. There's this, one of his Ronin outfits is like this like blousy white top with the pants blue pants with these like hand painted waves down them oh my god i would i would wear that i would wear that all the time i just uh yeah this whole world is new to me so the way in which it's like this is your stealth wardrobe this is like the archer's outfit where there's like less friction on your arm this is this type of armor and it increases your health and makes your blows stronger i don't know how common that is but the fact that there were a so many outfits and then B, so many sleeve variations you can do. Your sword has like 50 color options by the end if you collect everything. It is insane, the pageantry of this game. And there's... Right, and they're not... 
they're not phoned in. I've played other games with that attempt of, oh, well, you can have all these other skins for your for your costumes or weapons, and it's they're cheap. These were not fucking cheap. No, they cheap. were not. Uh, what was my favorite sword was the warrior's brush because it looked very art deco. And if you think swathing a bloody course through Japan with an art deco weapon isn't a very specific fantasy of mine, you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Um, yeah, no, I, I do feel like you reach a point where you're like, this is my high drag. Honey. Um, honestly, one of the reasons that I wanted to discuss this with you is because if you're a card carrying homosexual who loves history and stunning visuals, but it, like me, is somebody who never really games, and you have access to a PS4, honey, oh honey, let me tell you, this oh, yeah. game brings it to you every fucking ball. Yeah, your 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 lead like side not sidekick co person like Yuna. She has this beautiful maroon and black with white stitching top that is simultaneously blousy and fitted. And I'm like, you, I want people to wear that right now. I want to walk outside and see this outfit. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Ugh, it's gorgeous. Um, and I, I have to say, I do envy you this being your first game of this genre. Because like I said, I've played dozens of variations on this. I, I finished Death Stranding and Red Dead Redemption 2 in quarantine. Before that, I played most of the Assassin's Creed games, Origin, Odyssey. I, at some point, will play Valhalla. And I know a lot of the conventions. I know, like, I can see something's coming. I know how these button mashings work. I wish I could play it with your eyes to be like, to not be like, oh, well, this is where I'm going to have to, like, betray someone. Or this is where I'm going to learn the complicated blocking maneuver. And I wish I could have been in the room with you to see what it was like to learn a game of this genre from scratch. Yeah, no, I will say I do think I have a unique POV. And in a weird way, I am spoiled that so much of it was new and novel to me and that I was like sort of in a state where it was like, you are a captive audience to this. I feel like I learned so much about the controller and it was, and about the fighting. And it was funny to talk to you and realize like, I'm paying way closer attention to the combat moves than you are. You're like, at a certain point I'm mashing. Um, and learning everything in detail with this game as a instructional and knowing that a lot of the conventions and tropes that telegraph a lot of information to frequent gamers were not clear to me. It what I have been told this might be the best or at least most visually stunning and narratively compelling open world game that has ever create been created. And for me, it felt like this game is something special. I almost have this like romantic relationship with the idea of it, and I feel like it taught me so many things. My husband earlier this week tried to get me to play Horizon Zero Dawn while I'm still in the middle of my Ghost of Tsushima New Game Plus. And I looked at him like I'm losing my virginity in love and he's trying to sell me to a brothel. I just looked at him like, how dare you? Um, okay, I will say once once the love affair fades into tell something Tell me later. Cooler, I know what you're going to say. Already. Please tell get into later. Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, I'm not going to even go into detail. I'm just going to say you're going to love it. Um, I do. I want to ask you this because this was like the other main point of criticism that I've read. Not that I agree with it, but it was like the one enduring point, and it leads into my final point. So go with me on sure. this journey. Um, the side missions do get a little grindy insofar as you run into any side person. They're like, I need you to go check on my hu the husband's dead, or I need you to go check on my daughter. Your daughter's dead. I need you to get a gallon of milk. The gallon of milk. 
is dead. Um, but in addition to that, the, there are literally moments in the game where your side mission is to sit there and write a haiku or pick flowers. I actually really appreciated that element as being like the quiet moments interspersed betwixt all the violence. Yes, I use words like betwixt. Girls got a vocabulary. How did you take those moments? Because I thought they were like welcome bits of calm, whereas the straight men on the internet, who I will be shading momentarily, treated them as tedious grinds. So I'm curious to get... I mean, straight men on the internet who are gamers and aggro like are why I've never played anything before because they're insufferable, have no taste or emotional intelligence. So I'm assuming that they didn't appreciate them. They were structured to be real haiku writing exercises with like options. And I think that mix of I'm in the middle of like taking over a military fortress and fighting a bunch of Mongols. And now I'm running through the past, like through the pastures and reflecting on life's meaning like, that is the tone and the vibe of it and sort of the emotional intelligence of this game. That appealed to me. In the middle of it, there's also these puzzles where you're going up to the top of shrines that essentially become, like, weird, you know, problem-solving puzzles to climb a mountain that is not easy to scale. And chasing a fox to an Irani or Inari shrine um, was part of the appeal. Did they ever get tedious? Yes. Do I think it's nice to have something built in where part of your side quest is to write a haiku that is reflecting on the emotional state of the character you're playing? That obviously like centers you in who they are. Yeah. Um, I gotta say, I loved all the mountain shrines just because, I, I mean, you're talking to someone who played Tomb Raider back in the day when it was pretty much just a platform jumper. I like I love those because no one's shooting at you and you can take your time. I can stand here for 20 minutes looking for the correct ledge to jump at. And that's honestly all I need. Um, I, I will I say I loved 15 out of 17 of them. Two out of 17 of them. I was like, why are you torturing me? A little bit. Oh, did you do that side quest where you had to get the armor from off the mountain before you froze to death? So you had to like get to the campfires nope. in time? That one was annoying. But moving on. So then to my larger point where I shade uh, straight men, here is my question. Are the gays taking over gaming? And I have two pieces of data to support this thesis. One in this game, which is the character, in addition to finding flowers and Shinto shrines and uh, fox shrines, also finds hot springs. And you you watch him get into the hot spring and get to see his butt. It is, in fact... It's a nice butt. It's not like an overly muscular butt where it's like, well, no one in the no, 12th century that many squats. No, it's a shapely butt. It's a shapely real butt. And it's the only nudity in the entire game. And I'm like, huh. When you couple it with the fucking, you know, Bryant Park Fashion Week that is the collectibles, you start to build a thesis. And it just it put me in mind of, um, I also finished recently uh, the PS4 Spider-Man game. And for anyone who doesn't know, you can collect other different variations, like from the comics or from other movies, of various Spider-Man costumes. When you complete the game 100%, your reward, the thing you were working for, the costume, is Spider-Man in, uh, in his underwear. And those like little square-cut boy shorts, and they have like little tiny Spider-Mans on them. And I'm like, the prize for finishing the game is Spider-Man in his underwear? 
to keep going. Um, but have the gays secretly taken over the gaming industry? And I'm just finding this I out now. I think anything aesthetically driven like that is going to be something where there are gay nerds involved anywhere. I certainly think having more of a say. I think gays are having more of a say. I think, unfortunately, we live in a world where there's always been gays making some aesthetic decisions in video games, but they're made to cater towards straight men still, towards an emotionally unintelligent and aesthetically unaware straight male audience. Um, I think... I think it's one of those things where it's like, slowly over time, we also got to be visible on television. I think it's like, we're ma- our, our footprint is bigger in video games. But yes, I do feel like it is odd for this to be my first video game, to play it and be like, this is a cinematic, emotionally aware, visually stunning experience that teaches you a tremendous amount about combat within video games. Um, it's very complicated but it's also extremely instructive um and i just imagine that straight men who play video games are just looking to kill things not to write haikus about the human condition along the way well yeah like if you gave me a game that was like 90 percent haiku and 10 percent killing i'd be like well this is a good balance um something else we talked about this uh before but it's and it's worth breaking up now just because i'll take any opportunity i can to uh shade straight men i do not get like speed runs on YouTube or anything else where I've made the game as difficult as possible to the point that it couldn't possibly be enjoyable. Like I play video games to relax. Do you know how much straight men ruin things by coming up with the most esoteric thing that is like measurable in order to compete with one another, as opposed to just fucking relaxing and enjoying something. Yeah. I used to, I used to beat myself up for playing in story mode because it's, consciously in easiest mode that lets you just experience the narrative and i'm like wait a minute i do this to relax i have a job that challenges me and rewards me i don't need to find validation here i just want pretty visuals honestly yeah no i <laughs> the shading of straight men is valid um so is there anything else you'd like to touch on before we move on i do want to ask you actually yeah please Obviously, we've discussed this from the POV of, like, I've never done this before, and I got really into it and, like, finished, right? Do you think this is one of the best open-world games you've ever played? It is one of the better... It is one of the best games to the point that I think it's, like... Like, I I suppose I don't really compare it to, like, the Assassin's Creed games directly. Like, I just don't feel the need to. Like, I think part... One of the things I did like about this game is... I can't imagine there being a Ghost of Tsushima 2. Like, yeah. you know, Jin in the big city or something. Um, <laughs> like, it's a self-contained story. I think that's what actually made me like it more. Like, the later... The, the um, Assassin's Creed 2 and a couple of the games that followed all take place largely in one or two cities in Renaissance Italy focusing on a single character. And then after that point, the universe just started, you know... Marvel Cinematic universing itself out into a bunch of characters all in the same universe, all all dealing with the same mythology, with also a weird meta story that gets more dumb with each game. So part of what I really liked about this was it was just a self-contained story. A, an extremely well-defined character had an experience over several hours that I followed and understood, and it felt resonant. Like, like the final fight with the uncle fucked me up a little like that was a that lot. was a lot 
There um, were a few things and, in Act 3 that were like, bitch, that fucked me up. I don't know if I needed yeah. to see the horrors of war that much. But it was right. also, they had made so many wise emotional choices by that point that I... They have yeah. the right to make those choices, too. Like, like I, I just, I appreciated the granular character work and the acting was so good. It's just, um, are there elements of the open world? Like, to the extent that I ever got bored or frustrated with the open world elements of this game, it's just because so many games, like, like t- I, I played a Tomb Raider game that came out in the last year that is now also an open world collect all the side pieces to craft better weapons style game. And I think it's just, it's become the default setting for AAA games. And this is definitely one of the best iterations of it. I do kind of regret that even games that came from other genres are kind of forcing themselves into this genre. That makes sense. It's that makes sense. Ease, yeah, I'm not asking you about open world so much as I'm asking about how this game compares to others. Because I sort of got the impression that this, playing this game, I tried to not read too much, but based on what I did read, yeah. I sort of got the impression that only emotionally unintelligent people had anything to complain about and that was clear in their reviews and in many ways it feels like i like never saw a fantasy film and somebody showed me the lord of the rings trilogy and it was like well it's all downhill from here like i sort of got the impression this is like there's nothing that's made so many of these choices i think i think it is definitely um I might still like Assassin's Creed 2 just a little bit more, but again, that that game also does have an extremely attractive protagonist who you spend a lot of time with getting to know very well. This game does make some excellent refinements. Like, I really thought... So, in, in a lot of the games that, like, from, like, the 2000s, there was, like, a straight-up mini-map on the screen for you to follow, and the complaint was, you spend all this time making an open world, and I'm only going to look at the corner of it. Now the tendency is to do like a compass line across the top of the screens with little flags for where you need to go. This game goes even farther by having the concept of the guiding wind. So the wind will just blow in the direction you need to go. So you're always looking at the main body of the screen. And choices like that matter. Like I spent the most time looking at the full screen of the bending grass flowing in the wind as the character. Like, believe me, I had a lot of shit on my mind when I first got into this and was like basically had to be sedentary that it was like really relaxing to look at the bending like tall grass with like white flowers at the top in order to navigate myself and just riding on this horse it it was so fucking serene it was like a meditation video while also being a video game yeah um so yeah i think this is definitely one of the best versions of this idea of game and i think it's also like not to sound like a pompous egotist or whatever whatever the word I'm looking for is, but just it's a reminder that the best version of anything is going to be one that focuses on good character work and good emotional resonant storytelling. Um, all of the any one thread of this story is pretty cliche, and some of them I believe like consciously flag wavingly so. But by the end, if, if the best, the way you're going to get me the most fucked up is tell me at the top of your story, we all know where this is going. But when you get there, I still care. And this game absolutely did that. All right. So. And with yeah. that, is there anything else you would like to discuss about the game? Uh, 
Just another shout out to Jin's butt. Oh no, I do want to briefly shout out the, petting the foxes was like the most calm I have been in pandemic. Yeah. That was extremely soothing. And if there were like a screensaver mobile app that was just getting to do that, um, Sucker Punch Studios, please make that. I would give you $3.99, maybe even $4.99 for an app where I just get to pet the foxes running around Tsushima. So putting that on to the That's universe. That's very cute. Um, and with that, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. We hope you enjoy... We hope, honestly, some of you non-gaming gays check out Ghost of Tsushima and have the thrilling cinematic and novel experience I did. But uh, beyond that, we hope you have a happy holiday and a happy new year. And I I think we're all looking forward to January 21st. So with, God, yes. with that, God, yes. Ursula, do you have any outro words? Uh no nope January January twenty first well it's January twentieth January twenty first will be like the it'll be the first full girl day I'm waiting to four exhale. years yeah I'm waiting to exhale to... I said January twenty first on purpose thank you okay I'm just saying can you imagine an entire week where you could safely ignore politics and like catch yourself up on Monday no can I mean imagine? no it, like the pre Trump like the Obama era feels like. You didn't know what you had, honey. Well, it, I would say Obama feels about as far away as the 12th century Mongol invasion. Of I Japan. agree. <laughs> it feels like another lifetime that wasn't even a life I lived, but some other person I know lived. Uh, okay, on that note, bye. bye.